0: I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go with us to Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 12 again this morning, Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 12, and we're going to read verse number 38 through verse uh, number 42, this is the third part of the message entitled The Sign of Jonah. And in response to a question by the scribes and Pharisees. For the previous uh, two Sundays before Easter, we looked at the request that the scribes and Pharisees uh, gave to Jesus for him to give them another sign or further evidence that he was the Messiah. If you remember, our Lord, and we'll read it in just a moment, our Lord responded by calling them an evil and adulterous generation. And then Jesus told them there would be no other sign except that of the sign of Jonah the prophet, which of course pointed to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The heart of what Jesus is saying will continue in the Scriptures following. We'll look at that next Lord's Day, Lord willing, when He gives the illustration of the unclean spirit and the house, He continues to build on the fact that these scribes and Pharisees are missing something in their heart, and it doesn't matter how much and how many miracles and how many signs He performs and things He does, until the heart is changed, they will never believe. If you will follow with us in Matthew 12, verse number 38 through verse number 42, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from Thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, And, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus, responding to the scribes and Pharisees, gave these words that bring to surface, or magnify, the superiority of Jesus Christ to everyone and everything, and then to magnify the seriousness of rejecting Him as Savior and Lord. We'll look at those two aspects of this message this morning, on the superiority of Jesus to Jonah the prophet and Solomon the king, and then the seriousness that's interwoven in these verses whenever men fail to receive and believe the evidence that Jesus has given that He is who He said that He is. I mentioned briefly a moment ago that our Lord responded initially to the request of the scribes and Pharisees to see another sign by calling them, in verse number 39, an evil and adulterous generation. When He used the word evil, He is indicating that these individuals are bent toward sin. They are so bent toward sin that they could not see the sufficient evidence that Jesus was who He said He was, although that evidence was staring them in the face. Furthermore, He gave what would be one of the greatest insults to these scribes and Pharisees that could be given when He connected them and called them an adulterous generation. What our Lord was saying was that these individuals were basically in a love affair with themselves and sin, rather than the God who had called them to serve Him. I think how our Lord responded to that generation is appropriate in our generation, and it is the reason that men will not believe, and men will turn from the very truth of the Word of God. Their heart is bent toward sin, and their heart is bent toward evil, They are crooked, they are bent out of shape, they are lost, and without the regenerating work of God, they will continue in that generation. We have a generation also similar to this generation in which Jesus spoke, a generation that you have to see is in love with themselves. People are actually in love with themselves, they are occupied with me, they are occupied with I. They are occupied with what I want to do, what satisfies me, and, will, and what will bring me the greatest joy in life. Sometimes the religious people who are in that same situation will attempt to bring God in that sordid affair and claim parts of Him and attach Him to their, their sinful living and their depraved heart. Jesus refused the request for more evidence, because He knew the heart of these scribes and Pharisees. Now, some read this text and say they can't believe that Jesus would not give them further evidence that He was who He said that He was. Well, now, there's all the difference in the world when someone who does not know who Christ is and someone who is honestly seeking truth and honestly seeking light When they come to Christ for further truth, and when they come to Christ for greater light, our Lord will never shun those people away. He will give them, through the Scriptures, the light and the truth that they are requesting. But this is not the case with the scribes and Pharisees. They are just playing and toying with our Lord, wanting more and more when they refuse to receive the light that Jesus had already given them. On one occasion, when our Lord was speaking to the Jews in the temple, John records in his gospel in chapter 7, verse 16 and 17, Jesus responded to these Jews, My doctrine is not Mine, but His that sent Me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God, or whether I speak of Myself. If you are following the light that you have from the Word of God as to who Jesus is, it is certainly proper to ask the Lord for more light through the Word of God. However, if you are just unbelieving and you refuse to accept the light that God has given us in the Word of God, Jesus will do no more than He has already done. They do not believe in this Scripture because they do not want to believe. That's the heart of why most believers, most people who could believe today, most unbelievers, will stay in the situation they're in, is they refuse to believe. And this leads me to what I want to say by introduction to this third part of this message this morning. Our faith is based on fact. Our faith is based on the reality of the Word of God. Now, when I say that our faith is based on fact... I'm not talking about fact like 2 plus 2 equals 4 because you cannot reproduce the facts of Christianity. You can reproduce a mathematical fact to apply to other numbers and other situations. But the facts of our Christianity is not that Christ will come again and do what He's already done or that the Word of God will be written again. It's not a fact like that but it's a fact based on a one-time absolute truth that carries with it all the evidence needed to believe that Jesus Christ is who He said that He was. I grew up believing that Christ was who He said that He was because my parents taught me that. I went to school with other young people my same age who grew up not believing Jesus was the Son of God because their parents taught them differently. So what's the difference? Well, they could no more go to heaven on what their parents taught them than I could go to heaven on what my parents taught me until I, by the regenerating power of God and the work of the Spirit of God, believed by faith that the truth my parents taught me was indeed based upon the Word of the living God. We have sufficient evidence this morning that is based on the fact We teach our children truth. We teach our family truth. And then they come to a point in life where they must believe that God's Word is what they've been taught. That's what Paul told young Timothy. He said, From a child, from a child, thou wast taught the Holy Scripture which made thee wise unto salvation. Our faith is based on fact, it has conclusive evidence. It is not only conclusive evidence, but it is testimony evidence. There is an open and an empty tomb. There was a stone rolled away. There were witnesses of Jesus. There were testimonies given. There was literal proof. The grave was empty. But then there was personal testimony given, not by one, not by two, but by hundreds of people who've seen the risen Lord. You've often heard me say that if you were to have an accident out here at the intersection of Abington and Fairview Drive, and six people were standing there looking at that accident, you would probably have six different ideologies and testimonies about how that accident happened, who was to blame, and what caused that accident to happen. But if you take the Gospels of our Lord, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by different men from different places, under different circumstances, miles apart, years apart, and yet when we read them, they all testify to this undeniable fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose from the grave. And He was seen of many witnesses. The Apostle Paul uh, builds on that as he tells us about 500 brethren seen Him at one time. Yes, our faith, our Christianity is not based on just on fact like two plus two, but it is based on an absolute certain fact that will never be reproduced again in human history. First Corinthians fifteen, three through eight, here is the evidence. Paul said, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. In other words, Paul said, What I'm telling you, I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul said, What I'm giving you is what was given me from the Word of God, that Jesus died according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part, Paul said, are still alive. They remain at the present time. But he said, Some have already passed on. After that, He was seen of James, then of all the apostles, And Paul said, last of all, he was seen of me as of one born out of due time. There on Damascus Road, Saul of Tarsus, seen the risen Lord, and he's alive. That is the evidence. But long before all of that evidence, long before all of that testimony, the scribes and Pharisees said, show us something else. Show us something more magnificent than walking on water. Show us something more powerful than curing leprosy or opening blinded eyes. Jesus said, the only sign that you'll be given is that of Jonah the prophet. I will be buried in the heart of the earth, and then I will raise on the third day. And Jesus said, you'll either believe that, or you will not believe. You see, our Christianity, our faith is based on the fact of the Word of God. You say, well, I don't believe the Word of God is the Word of God. Then there is no hope, there is no salvation for you. For you have nothing to believe. You have no one to believe in. This Bible is the Word of God. When God sent His Son into the world, He did not say to man, This is My Son, and I expect you to believe Him. I expect you to leave your life and give up everything and follow Him. I expect you to suffer with Him, to be identified with Him. I expect you to die for Him if necessary. I expect you to do everything that He says you to do. Jesus did not say that and then say, but I'm going to give you no evidence. I'm going to give you nothing to verify that He is who He said He is. Our God did not send His Son into the world that way. In the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, the prophecy was given that one would come and crush the very head of the serpent. One would be born of woman. Prophecy concerning our Lord. And then all through the pages of the Old Testament and the prophets of old said, this one is coming from the seed of David and he will bring salvation. There will be healing in his wings. It told where he would be born, how he would be born, what he would do after he would be born. It echoed the sounds that had not yet been sounded. The truth of the Word of God. The evidence was there. And then when he was born, the evidence was there again. Prophecies fulfilled. Prophets declared, this is the Son of God. John Baptist, standing on the banks of the Jordan, said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Miracles after miracle. Teaching after teaching. Event after event is proven in the Word of God. God not only sent his Son but He sent His Son with evidence. He sent His Son with, with confirming acts. He sent His Son with undeniable proof. Yes, this is the Son of the living God. God sent Him with everything that we would need to know that He is Jesus Christ. So when a bunch of hard-hearted religious people stand and say, Do something else. Pull a rabbit out of a hat. Do something else. Prove to us that you are the Son of God. Jesus said, there'll be a day not far down the road whenever I will come out of the grave on the third day, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and then he came out. I will come out. That will be the sign. That's the evidence. You will believe that, or else you will never believe the gospel and Christianity. In addition, he said there would be this one final sign. No more. Christ is not under the control of the whims and the demands of religious men. Christ is sovereign over all. And the open, empty tomb, thank God, is the evidence that Jesus Christ lives. If He did not live the day there, then He could not live in our heart, in our soul, in our minds. He would be dead there as well. Well, look with me at the text this morning here after telling them there would be no more signs now, except that of Jonah the prophet, Jesus made these statements. He said in verse number 41, The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation. Then he said in verse 42, The queen of the south. He's talking about the queen of Sheba who came to see Solomon's wisdom. He said, The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation. In the Ninevites, the men of Nineveh, verse 41, and the queen of Sheba, their lives condemned their generations. Why? The men of Nineveh, with that little, that little light they had, repented. And then the queen of the south, in recognizing Solomon for who he was, with that little light that she had, condemns this generation because this generation is flooded with light now if that were true in that day how much more in our day when jesus said that the canon of scripture was not yet complete when jesus said that he had not yet suffered been buried died or died been buried and resurrected and ascended the word of god was incomplete yet that light that was there was enough to condemn men If we can't believe him with the light we have today, there will be no greater, no future light. But he wants those listening to understand. They knew Jonah, and they knew Solomon, and they attributed greatness. Jonah was a great prophet. Solomon was a great king. The scribes and Pharisees knew well their life. You not imagine they took a step back, and they give an uplifted eyebrows and this look when he said, Behold, a greater than Jonah is here? A greater than Solomon is standing in your presence? And he said, yet you will not believe. The word greater than comes from the Greek word on," which means greater in quantity. It means more. It means very many. With the, with the preaching of Jonah, Nineveh repented. And yet a greater than Jonah is standing in your midst. It really means someone greater. Some translations translate it something greater, which, if that's accurate, would attach the kingdom with this, meaning not only is the greater king here, but his greater kingdom would be here. But please don't miss what our Lord is saying in both of these illustrations. He is claiming to be greater than Jonah. He's claiming to be greater than Solomon, and it's a clear claim of deity. And that really is at the heart of the problem of the scribes and Pharisees is their rejection of the deity of Jesus Christ. That is still at the heart of most people's problem today, who will not believe, who will not repent. They don't want to believe that Jesus Christ is who He says that He is. According to this Bible, He is God in the flesh he is not just a son of God he is definitely not a created being of God Jesus Christ is God in the flesh that's the cornerstone of our faith every cult every cult that can have that definition attached to them must deny that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God that he is the Son of God every cult I know denies that Christ is God in the flesh. We believe by faith what the Bible teaches, and that is that Christ is God in the flesh. When He was cradled in Bethlehem's manger, that was God in the flesh. The second person of the Godhead co-equal, co-existent with God. As long as God has been, Christ has been. As long as God will be, Christ will be. He is God in the flesh what did the Lord say to the prophet Isaiah tell them when he comes Emmanuel, God with us that's who he is standing in front of these scribes and Pharisees who thought they had a monopoly on God who got upset when Jesus claimed to be God and told them about their problem with being sons of Abraham God Himself is saying To these scribes and Pharisees, behold, a greater than the prophet Jonah is standing here, and one greater than King Solomon is standing here. You see, that's chipping away at the root of their heritage and their connections with God in the Old Testament. How can Jesus claim to be greater than Jonah? Well, first of all, He was greater in His mission. Jonah ran from His mission. Thank God Jesus ran to His mission. Jonah went away from where God called him. Thank God our Savior came where God sent him. He was greater in his mission. Jonah tried to do away with the will of the Father. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He was greater in his mission. Jonah, secondly, was greater in his message. You know that Jonah preached a message of physical deliverance from the city of Nineveh being overthrown by their enemies. Jesus preached the gospel, which is a message of spiritual deliverance from the condemnation of sin and eternal wrath of God. He was greater in His mission. He was greater in His message. Jesus was greater in His miracles. If you go back and read the book of Jonah, Jonah did zero miracles. No miracles did Jonah do. And yet the Ninevites believed Jonah and repented at his preaching. Jesus had done miracle after miracle after miracle, some say over 30 in the Gospels that Jesus did. John tells us many more things he did. We couldn't even put in the book if we knew them. Miracle after miracle for all to see. And yet the Ninevites repented, and Jonah did no miracles, and the scribes and Pharisees will not repent. They're saying, Do one more. Jonah was spewed or vomited out of the belly of a great fish. What is that compared to our Savior rising from the dead from a cold, dark tomb? Thank God Jesus is greater than Jonah. He went on to say, secondly, in verse 42, that He was greater than Solomon. It said this queen of the south Came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here. What he's saying is, you walk 50 feet to question me about who I am. You're standing within 10 feet of me when I cast a demon out of a boy or a man and open his blinded eyes. And you say that I've done that by the power of the devil. He said, I tell you that there was a queen of south, we know to be called the queen of Sheba, who traveled, traveled long and hard and many miles based on a rumor that she had heard about a king who had all of this wisdom. And he's saying, behold, a greater than Solomon is standing here. What he's saying is, why would a queen on the basis of a rumor with no validity tied to it, somebody just told her that there was a king in in Israel that had wisdom, unprecedented wisdom, why would she travel all of those many, many miles to come and check that out, and you're standing five feet from eternal life, and you will not believe? Could I pause here for a moment and ask you, what is it going to take for those of you who are unsaved to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And I have the glorious privilege of telling you what it's going to take has already been accomplished. And that's the finished work of our Lord, His death, burial, and resurrection. Whosoever will may believe, and whosoever will can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. With great hardships, it's estimated this queen traveled over 1,200 miles on the basis of a rumor to have her questions answered. Questions she had about God, about life, about death, about purpose, about meaning. The Queen of Sheba is traveling to hear all of that. Think about all the questions this morning that people must have. Just right here, just right here within, a, within the sound of my voice, right here if we were out in the open, think about all the questions and things that people have just up and down these roads. And they won't walk across the street or drive... Two miles to hear anything Jesus or His servant has to say. Here's a woman who traveled 1,200, maybe more. Who knows? Just multitudes of miles based on a rumor. I'm not here preaching rumors this morning. I'm here preaching facts, the facts of the Word of God. She done that to, to do what? Verse 42, she done that to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now Solomon was worth hearing. He was great in his wisdom. Listen to 1 Kings 3.28, And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. Now Solomon was worth traveling for to hear his wisdom. He was a wise man. But it was God that gave him that wisdom, and God that gave him that understanding. And his wisdom and understanding exceeded all men recorded in Scripture. But our Lord, who never graduated from religious school or received an honorary degree from the Sanhedrin, He is greater than Solomon. Solomon was also not only great in wisdom, but Solomon was great in riches. 1 Kings chapter number 10, verse 14 through 15, Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was six hundred score and six talents of gold. Beside that he had of the merchantmen and of the traffic of the spice merchants and of all the kings of Arabia and of all the governors of the country. He was rich. But our Lord, our Savior, Paul tells us in Ephesians, was rich in mercy. Can I just say to you, these scribes and Pharisees, they don't need a king who has 603 score talents of gold they don't need a king who traffics in merchandise. They need someone rich in mercy. Thank God when those of us came poor in our sin, we found a Savior who was rich in mercy and rich in grace. Solomon was great in his rule. He's a great man. 1 Kings eleven forty-two. 42, And the time that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years Solomon was great in his wisdom, great in his riches, great in his rule. I could go on, but you get the picture. These scribes and Pharisees knew who Jonah was. They knew Solomon was great. And yet Jesus said, Behold, a greater than Jonah is standing here, and a greater than Solomon is standing in your presence. How so? Well, let's look at it for just a moment. First of all, Christ was greater in His birth. I'm not going to go in detail, but those of you that have been in church any amount of time in your life, you know where Solomon came from, don't you? You know his heritage. You know his lineage. Of course, David's son, but you know about David. You know about all of that stuff. That's how Solomon got into this world. Well, how did our Lord get into this world? I could preach it, but let me read it. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together she was found with child of the holy ghost Solomon came in this world because his parents came together the natural God ordained way but our lord came into this world the unnatural way our lord came into this world before Joseph and Mary came together sexually he came here conceived of the holy ghost I submit to you A greater than Solomon is standing here in his birth. Solomon was born in an illuminated palace, our Lord, in a cave or a barn. Christ was born when the Jewish race was lost in religion and unbelief. Christ's birth made the little town of Bethlehem greater than Athens, Rome, and any other city in the world we still sing about it every Christmas Oh, little town of Bethlehem why because a greater than Solomon is here he was greater in his birth he was greater in his wisdom Solomon was wise enough one day to figure out which mother's son was hers you remember that story he was gonna split the baby in half and you know that's wisdom Solomon was gonna figure that out that's wise I remind you your Lord knew Nathanael he said I knew Nathanael I knew you before you were ever born he told Nicodemus I know your heart he told Zacchaeus I know you're up that tree he told Judas in John 2 24 25 he knew the hidden thoughts of his disciples and he knew Judas Solomon was wise but behold a greater than Solomon is here Jesus created everything that Solomon talked about. Solomon knew about birds. Jesus knew every sparrow that ran across the ground. Solomon spake of fish. Jesus filled empty nets with them. Solomon spake of stars. Thank God Jesus named them all. Solomon could enter palace doors. Our Lord could walk through closed doors. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon knew about, knew about nature. He writes about storms and waves and winds. Our Lord can get up and say, peace be still. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. All of these thoughts had to be going through the minds of these scribes and Pharisees as Jesus is talking to them about the greatness of Solomon. Greater in his birth, greater in his wisdom, greater in his teaching. Solomon could teach, John 7, 46, the officers answered, speaking of Jesus, Never man spake like this man. Man's teaching is stained with speculation. Our Lord's teaching was pure, absolute revelation. And He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Solomon in His building. Greater than Solomon in His building. Solomon built. And Solomon overseen all of that temple, all that stuff. But listen to Ephesians 2. Let me just mention this without reading all of it. Solomon's temple was the greatest building ever built. 183,600 men worked on it for seven and a half years. It cost 300 million to feed the workers. It was built without the sound of a hammer. Built out of timber, marble, ivory, gold, silver, iron, and brass. Yet you and I this morning are a part of a holy temple. Ephesians 2.19 You are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophet Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Isn't it amazing that the temple that man went into in the Old Testament was built without the sound of a hammer or nails? But isn't it amazing that the temple that's within us today, thank God, was secured by the sound of nails going into the hands of the Son of God. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He's greater in his provisions. Just listen to this. This will blow your mind if your mind can be blown. First Kings 4 2, and Solomon's provision for one day. Now, this is what he for one day was thirty measures of fine flour, three-score measures of meal, ten fat oxen, and twenty oxen of the pastures, and a hundred sheep, beside harts and roebuck, and fallow deer, and fatted fowl. Now, if you can't figure that out, I'll just tell you Solomon could not get that carry out or delivered by Uber. And he couldn't get it through the drive-thru. It wasn't going to happen, right? That was what it took for his people to eat for one day. How in the world can now Jesus stand here and say, Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon had all of that, but what Solomon never had was five loaves and two fishes and fed 5,000 people, not counting women and children, and had 12 baskets left over. He never could do that. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. One more. He's greater in his home. 1 Kings 7, 1. But Solomon was building his own house. Thirteen it took him 13 years to build his own house, and he finished all his house. Boy, that's a great man building. That's a great house. 13 years years. I imagine a Biltmore house would look like a GARAGE compared to what Solomon built. Really! You say, well, how's he greater than Jesus? Jesus said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there, ye may be also. We haven't seen all of that yet, but when we do, we will say, Behold, a greater than Solomon was here. His name is Jesus. And then let me tell you one final thing. I said that a moment ago. Here's one final thing on top of one final thing. This will be one final thing he was greater in his death 1 kings 11:43 solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of david his father and rehoboam his son reigned in his stead 1 kings 11:43 solomon lived solomon died solomon was buried and you can go to israel today and they'll take you to that general area last i heard as of this morning you may have heard something different last i heard nobody has ever claimed solomon was anywhere different than where he was buried. He's still there. Last I read, our Lord ain't. Our Lord is greater in his death, because our Lord has risen from the dead. This is all going through the minds of these scribes and Pharisees. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The superiority of Jesus. Let me say quickly in closing, the seriousness of rejecting Jesus. Now, the seriousness of this will not fully be seen till we look at this next week in verse 45 through 50 where Jesus tells a very serious story about what happens when a man tries to clean up on the outside and nothing changes on the inside. But He is pressing the seriousness of this even now within this text when He says to them in the day of judgment when all men stand before God, the Ninevites will condemn you Because they repented and you've not. And he said, the queen of the south will condemn you and all who reject Christ because she went with great effort in search of the truth and you're standing right in the presence of the truth and will not even ask the truth to save you. I'm not going to play word games with you today, but there are countries and you know it and there are peoples and you know it who doesn't have near the light that you and I have. And yet they will call out unto God for salvation. I don't know that America as a nation or even this part of the country is going to cry out to God anymore unless God meets our conditions and unless God does for us what we want Him to do. We've already taken the pure gospel of God and watered it down to a health and wealth gospel which says, I'll serve you if you'll bless me. I'll follow you if you'll give me good health. I'll do what you want me to do if you'll fill my shells full and if you'll bless me. That is not in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's nowhere to be found. The scribes and Pharisees and all who hear Jesus' words should realize the seriousness of rejecting Christ. As I said, He will illustrate that in verse 43 through 45. This past Wednesday, during Wednesday night and into Thursday morning, 19-year-old Avion and I may pronounce his first name wrong, Avion Baker, was shot and killed. While walking out of Wendy's at North Lake Mall in Charlotte, he had just clocked out of his job. He was leaving to go home. That was one of, I think, four homicides within two or three days in Charlotte, which is nothing unexceptional now. Of course, we have them here. They're everywhere. But I read several comments of mothers and community leaders related to the shooting of this nineteen-year-old boy and all the homicides among young people. One community leader said this, and with this on my mind, it struck me. She said this, and I quote, Is this a game to these young people? Do they not realize the consequences for themselves as well as others? End quote. Is this a game, she said to these young people? Do they not realize the consequences? I don't think they do, because they've played games all their life. They've played games where you kill a bunch of things, and then you push a button, and them things get back up and live again, and you kill them again. I want to tell you, standing before Jesus are scribes and Pharisees that in a few moments of time will be in eternal torment under the wrath of God because they've rejected Jesus Christ for who He is. And listening to the gospel being preached today are men and women, boys and girls, who think that life has no consequences. And that when things get bad, you just push a button, or you reboot, and everything goes well again. That's not the reality of life. The reality of life is all who die outside of Christ spend an eternity in a dark torment where the soul dies not, the fire is not quenched, and the wrath of God is burning upon you forever and forever with no opportunity of ever coming to Christ again. That's the reality and the consequences of rejecting Jesus Christ. Well, preacher, if God would do, stop the sentence. Listen to this sentence God has done. Don't give me, if God, don't, there's no if in this. Salvation is of the Lord, to quote Jonah. Salvation is of the Lord, a greater than anybody you can name is here. He's here in the word of God. He's here in his living presence today. And all who hear this message should repent of your unbelief, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Listen to John 3:17 through 19. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned because he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God." And then listen what Jesus said. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is exactly where the scribes are standing. This is exactly where many of you are standing and sitting today. Light has come in the world, but you're going to stay in darkness because you love darkness rather than light. Commenting on the verses I just read, Dr. Merle Tenney, author of the book, The Gospel of Belief, which is a commentary on John's Gospel, writes these words, and I quote, Judgment is the logical consequence of unbelief. As the man who turns his back to the sun deepens his own shadow, the darkness in which he walks, so the unbeliever intensifies the darkness of his own soul by his unbelief. His unbelief is in itself an admission of sin, since he will not come to the light, to have His deeds made manifest and evaluated. End quote. Why do men live? Why do men do what they do? They've turned their back on the sun, and it's revealed in the darkness in which they are walking. Preacher, what sign, what evidence is God going to give to my generation, to our generation? We don't get to walk and talk with Jesus like these men did. We don't even get to literally see the empty tomb, although I've been to Israel one time and saw a tomb that was one of two that they say could have been that of the Son of God. It didn't affect my faith one way or the other. What do we get? Well, we get the most glorious gift God left us. Thank God we get the gospel. 1 Corinthians one twenty two: For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. under the Jews a stumbling block, and under the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, listen to these words, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The gospel is Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. A power and wisdom greater than Jonah, and greater than Solomon." The sign of Jonah continues to this very day. And those of us here this morning who are Christians, those of us who have believed the Gospel and are saved, you know in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, and we know that because the Word of God SAID that. That's how we know that. There's probably a half a dozen, maybe. It may not be that many people here today that's actually been to Israel and seen one of the two tombs they said Christ could have possibly been in. That's not the issue. The issue is, do we believe the Word of God? By faith we believe. and Someday, because we believe, we will live eternally with Him forever and forever. For those who have never trusted, those who do not believe, those who, like the scribes and Pharisees, are saying, I, I need to see more. I've got to do, a- do a better search. I leave this with you, and John's coming. We're going to sing before we're dismissed. For those who've never trusted, listen to the prophet Isaiah. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come, ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Isaiah 55, 1. Come. Come to Christ. Father, we thank You this morning for the sign of Jonah, the sign of Your resurrection. Thank You that You are greater than all. You are greater than Jonah, You are greater than Solomon, You are above all things, and by You all things consist. Thank You for the evidence. Thank You for the completed Word of God, the Scriptures, which are able, as they did young Timothy, to make a man wise unto salvation. I pray You would save men and women this morning by Your engrafted Word. I pray that Your living Word would work in hearts. We are born again by Your Word. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and Lord, these beautiful flowers that are in bloom now, and the buds, and all that is bringing life and light to our world, even as we're here this morning, those will all, sometime in the fall, be brown, and Lord, they'll fall off, and they'll show deadness, but while the grass withers and these flowers will fade, the Word of our God will endure forever, and we thank You for it. I pray for those who do not know You. May the work of God in their heart bring them to full salvation. We'll thank You. For those of us who do know You, may we leave here in a few minutes rejoicing in a Savior's love and thanking You that You are greater. You're greater than Solomon, Jonah, greater than the prophets, greater than the buildings, greater than everything, the angels of the heavens. You're greater than it all. We worship and adore You. We bless Your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing. What number, John?